you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning as we continue our series called The Bright Side. It's a, a letter that a guy named Paul writes to a church in a place called Philippi. It's in our modern day Macedonia. Uh, in the first century, it was one of the most successful churches that we have on record in our Bibles. They were uh, doing great, and they had done so well that they got to the point of being generous uh, in, in sharing with Paul. He's in prison, probably in Rome, uh, as he's writing this letter, and he's just gotten a care package from the Philippians uh, and the deliverer of it, a guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, he, he wants to say thank you, and so this is the letter that we have in our Bibles, a thank you note from Paul. Now, if you've been with us through the series, you know we're talking about joy. Uh, Paul has uh, not lots to be joyful over, but chooses joy anyway, and he sits in prison. He's actually detailed it for us in the first chapter. Sits in prison and makes the most of every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the guards that are strapped to him. Um, his, his acts in prison are inspiring the church of Rome to share in their context. And uh, he has uh, said his thank yous, shared his prayers with the Philippians as the first chapters unfolded, and things pivoted last week if you were with us. Uh, now he's going to talk about the things that he hopes for the Philippians, actually as their spiritual father uh, requires of them as his spiritual children. Uh, he turns his, his writing uh, to their needs and dresses them in uh, the way that he does. Last week we started in uh, the last three or four verses of chapter one, and we, and we learned some motions. Anybody remember the motions from last week? Some of you were here. Does anybody remember the motions? You're all going to just start doing things and you just see it. Um, uh, this is what we learned from Paul in those uh, last four verses of chapter one. Uh, he asks them to live a life uh, that's worthy uh, of, of, the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about that as being a statement. We signed like a contract and we showed it to each other. A statement to be made. Everybody, everybody do that with me. We're doing it together. Todd, you doing it? I know you love these. Here we go. It's a statement to be made. All right. And the second thing we learned is that he wanted us to strive together, side by side, in one spirit, in one mind. And so we talked about how the Christ life is a stand to be taken. The first thing is, is that it's a statement to be made, and then it's a stand to be taken. And then he got to the, to the nitty gritty. He says, I know this is going to be hard at times. He says, but God has given you this grace, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for Christ's name's sake. And so we learned that sometimes uh, making, or, or making the statement or taking the stand is going to produce uh, the struggle, ah, right? Uh, but the Christ life is this struggle that we embrace even as we head into hard times. Um, the, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. Everybody knows that? If you don't, there you go. Now you do. It doesn't have all those numbers, and uh, it was just a, a straight letter. And so Paul's thought hasn't you know, broken off here. He's still on the same theme as he continues in what we're going to study today in chapter 2. And what we're going to find today is the answer to the question, how? Anybody ever been told to do something? Like Paul just got done telling the Philippians, here's what I want you to do. Let your life be a statement for Christ. Let, let your life uh, be a stand for Christ. Uh, make sure that you persevere in the struggles that come from doing that as you seek to honor Christ. And, and you and I might get those kind of instructions sometimes in life be, and be like, okay, how? Like anybody ever been at work and been told to do something you don't know how to do and you're just like, love to help. Not sure how that's supposed to get done, right? Like you could come to me this morning and tell me to macrame you a, sh a sweater. Uh, is macrame a thing? I don't even know. I just pulled that out of the ether. That was, I don't even know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? If it is a thing, trust me, I don't know the first thing about it. And we'd all be kind of sitting here for a while. You'd have to show me how. 
You'd have to show me how. And so that's what Paul spends the next verses doing, explaining how to make the statement, take the stand, and persevere in the struggle that we're meant to embrace. Here's how you do it. It's not every bit of the how, but it's certainly the main thrust of the how. The how is that we do this together. That's where he's going to go next. As he addresses his friends in this church, he's like, hey, guys, if you're going to accomplish all of these things that are, are yours in Christ and, and your assignments by Christ, that you're going to have to do this together. The, 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 the Christ life is the ultimate team sport. We're meant to be in life together, benefit from each other, be admonished by each other. Uh, we're meant to uh, be able to bounce things off of each other and, and, and weather the storms of life together. Today he's going to take us uh, to the how, which is this, the Christ life runs on harmony. My good friends at Duncan told us that America runs on Duncan. The church runs on harmony. The Christ life is all about the church, the Christians in it, sticking together, supporting each other, and being what we need to be in Christ for each other, harmonizing in our pursuit of him. So that's the first thing we're gonna learn today. The second thing we're gonna learn is that harmony is built with humility. Everybody say that with me. Harmony is built with humility. The one produces the other. In fact, you will not have harmony in a relationship with someone if there is no humility in the parties uh, you know, present. Is everybody with me? Like if I'm right and you're right, we're both wrong. Nothing's gonna work in this thing. If someone doesn't defer, uh, in fact, deference, ah, throw this out, deference makes the difference when it comes to harmony existing in life. And let me, let me say this. We're going to talk about the Philippian church and the context that we're studying today, but I, can I submit to you that every relationship, it's, if, if you're going to flourish in your marriage, if you're going to flourish in your family set, you know, whether it's son, daughter to father, mother, or father, mother to son, whatever. You guys understand families. You've been in one? Yeah, okay. Uh, if, if those relationships are going to work, they're going to work because you strive for harmony and you choose humility in getting there. You want to go to work and see that be a, a place uh, that, uh, that uh, flourishes? You're going you're gonna to be a part of the solution not part of the problem, and you're going to, instead of, you know, demanding your entitlements, you're going to seek to work with those around you, create harmony through humility wherever you can. Are you with me? So this one certainly is about church, but it goes to all the relationships in your life. Super practical today. I pray they always are. But listen to me today and learn how God wants to make a difference in the relationships of your life when I think about humility and its role in harmony, it's kind of like the little wrench that comes with all the IKEA do-it-yourself, uh, you know, assembly projects. Has anybody been to IKEA or one of these stores that sells uh, furniture unconstructed? Some of you are like, "Great, I got all these awesome tools. I'll just zip, zip, zip it together." And then other of us don't have tool one, and we're grateful that IKEA throws that little Allen wrench inside. Doesn't it? Who's grateful for the IKEA Allen wrench? I have like 50 of them. You know, I like. Uh, I just keep you know, storing them in the same drawer. They're all there. Uh, that, that one little wrench, though, is all you need, that's what they say, to assemble the entire you know, bookcase or whatever you're building, right? And so it is with humility. If you want to create harmony, actually come up with what God desires for you to have in your relationships. Humility, it's the Allen wrench. It's the key to the whole thing coming together. 
So we talk about this in chapter 2. We're going to kind of bounce through these ideas of harmony and humility. And the first thing we're going to see is Paul continues his uh, addressing of this uh, need in the Philippian church is that we're supposed to do three things today. The first one is this, do your part in the army of harmony. I was uh, uh, thinking about this outline that I was sharing, uh, I am sharing with you currently, and I went to this old rap song from the 90s and I was going to say, army with harmony, but then I remembered the rest of the lyrics. You ever done that? You're like, oh, that'll be a great little thing for a, ser- a sermon, and then you're like, remember the rest of the lyrics. It's like, well, I can't say that. So, <clears throat> do your part in the army of harmony. I uh, grew up being taught that I was in the Lord's army. There was this old song. Some of you are going to sing it with me right away. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I don't even know what that means. I may never zoom or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. <sighs> wow. <laughs> Childhood in the church. Okay. Uh, I remember it, though. Learned it when I was seven. Could still do it now. Uh, We were taught then this very important principle that that Scripture kind of explains to us. When we are saved, we are saved by grace through faith from the old life to a new life. This new life exists in the Lord's service. We are in his army fighting this spiritual battle that's constantly raging around us. Is everybody with me? It's happening right now. In fact, some of you have already gone to whatever you're looking at on your phone because you're not going to listen to me anymore. And here's what I'm telling you. You are falling prey to the adversary who's trying to keep you from hearing God's word. Stop it! It's constantly, that's what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6 of his letter. To the Ephesians, he says, put on the armor of God. And he talks about each piece and he, he says it in that way, in that metaphorical way. Because we're in a fight, people. We're, as Christians, brought in, enlisted um, brought into service of God in the army of God. Here's something you might not know about us, though. We're an army of harmony. And most armies that are worth their salt stay together. Can we all agree that an army that kind of goes off on its own and follows its own ideas, some of us served in this military. Thank you for all of us, uh, all of you who did. I esteem your service. Uh, But the reason the American armed forces are what they are is that people know how to take orders and do them. The Army stays together, the Air Force stays together, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, if I leave anybody out, Space Force, we all stay together. And we do, the plan is administered to us. It's how armies are meant to function and how they function at their best. And so we have been called to this army of harmony in the service of our Lord. He says this in verse one. Philippians chapter two, verse one, he says, so if, he's gonna basically set up his his, uh, basis for his argument. Uh, as, as to why we should live in this harmony that he's calling us to. He's saying, listen, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, and he's going to list three other things there, but let me start here. Sometimes our English translations of the Greek language don't really uh, carry for us the exact meaning of, of what's written there. It's certainly the Greek word for if, as uh, we read it here in the English Standard Version, but it carries this idea of, of not maybe if, but certainly since. So can we put that in this place? So since there is an encouragement in Christ, let's read it that way. Since there's an encouragement in Christ, since there's a comfort from his love, since there's a participation uh, for those of us who are in Christ with his spirit, since there's affection and sympathy that is ours because of our relationship with Christ, he's not saying if, he's saying since. It's not if then, it's since then. Since these things are true, let's do life together in harmony in this army of harmony. 
Yeah, he goes in there, the, the word for encouragement there in, in verse 1 is, is the Greek word parakalesis, which is uh, one of the names that we give to the Holy Spirit. It's the one who comes alongside. It's this picture of if we are in Christ, we are brought into the service of those around us who are in Christ so that if their life kind of goes astray, we're the person who pulls over when they're you know, broke down on the highway and we help them with their tire. We're the tugboat that goes out into the harbor when their motor dies and they can't get to shore. We're the ones who come alongside. In Christ, we've been given that. Since we are the encouragement of Christ to each other, since we are the comfort of his love. Everybody understands that this life is meant to be lived in love, right? We're meant to love each other. Uh, And since we have this participation in the spirit and an affection, I love this, this is root and fruit. Since there's this affection that is uh, given us in Christ, and since it's Root is affection, and its fruit is the sympathies or the carings that we give to each other. Since all of these things are in place, Paul says this in verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. He he doubles up on one of them. Everybody see that there? He hits the brain thing twice. Be the same mind, uh, of the same mind. Have the, the one mind. Uh, he, he's he's uh, hoping for a single-mindedness and, and a, a shared love and, 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 a, and, a, and an accord that we share together, but he, he, he says mind twice. He, the reason he says this, let me kind of uncork this as we uh, peek around the corner of the things that are going to be revealed in Philippians in the weeks to come. Uh, we're going to find out that there is actually division happening in this church. People are kind of splitting into these uh, factions. Now, he actually calls two ladies out in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, uh, Yodia, that's the one lady, and Syntyche is the other lady. He says, I urge you guys to bury the hatchet, essentially. My translation. Uh, more uh, brusque. Uh, maybe he's saying, ladies, knock it off. You're making a mess out of the unity, the harmony that we're meant to have. He says, since we have this uh, encouragement in Christ and the love that he gives us, since we uh, have the one spirit that we share, since we, we have this uh, affection that it, you know, uh, is seen in our sympathies, complete my joy. That, that's, a, that's a phrase that means top off my fluids. Anybody ever been told that when you're getting your oil changed? Hey, if you ever need your fluids topped off, you can come in and between now and the next time you get your oil changed, you can have your fluids topped off. Never done it once. Assume it's probably good for your engine to do that every once in a while. Uh, but love that I have the option. Thank you, five-minute service, whatever you are. Anyway, uh, Paul's in prison. He's, he's, he's already experienced this incredible amount of joy. Like his joy is not contingent on his circumstances. It's a choice that he's making about life. But he says, you know what would just send me over the edge? Just top me off in my joy. Complete my joy is if you guys live with the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and having one mind. Let me just explain those phrases real quick. When it says to have the same mind twice, it means think the same things. Uh, Major in the majors, minor in the minors. Don't let what you're thinking about and arguing about separate you. When it says share God's love with each other, having the same love, he's he's saying it doesn't mean you have to love the same things. Like you can love the Yankees and be wrong. That's your right. You can do that, right? Uh, Sorry, Yankee fans, but... uh, We don't have to agree on everything that we experience in life. The major things, we keep the majors, but when we disagree, we let love build bridges between us in those disagreements. Love is the vessel. 
in which we provide for each other every, everything that God wants us to give. Everybody gets that love has different forms. Sometimes it's gentle love. Sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes love looks like mercy, and, and, and sometimes love uh, looks like rebuke. Love should always be patient. Love should always be wise. As Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's all of these things, but it's always the vessel that we seek to honor each other and produce harmony in our relationships through. Love is the key. I, I love that our food is kind of like this. Like there's certain vessels that our food is served in, mostly so that we can eat it with our hands. Like if you go to a pizza shop, the common thing about every pizza is what? The crust. Pizza is the crust, and it better be good if I'm going to eat it. Are you with me? Don't give me that cauliflower stuff. What is that? <laughs> but you can have all kinds of toppings on the pizza. It's always on that crust. It's the foundation of the pizza. Same thing with a sandwich. It can be long and skinny like a hoagie. It can be short and fat like something on a rye bread. It can be different flavors of bread. But that, those bread, those pieces of bread or several pieces of bread, go club sandwich. If there's bread in the sandwich, you got a sandwich. And when it comes to love, it's the bread, it's the dough or the pizza crust. It's the, it's the delivery system of the things that God would have for us. So if we're going to have harmony, we have to have one mind. We have to couch everything in God's love. Are you with me? And then finally, he says this, be of one accord, uh, uh, being in full accord, he says, and of one mind. Full of accord is not a Honda product. It's not what we're talking about. Um, when he talks about accord, he, he's really diving into this idea of harmony. It means we're basically playing from the same sheet of music. I play guitar for you every once in a while. Some of you didn't know I'm a master at all instruments. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to play the piano for you now. This is what I learned when I was nine. That's our, we're off to a great start. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Should have a tip jar out or something. That'd be great. Uh, I'm not a music theorist. I play guitar for fun. Uh, I know this much about music, right? Like when people uh, on, in the band and on the choir are so concerned about their mess-ups, most of us are like, well, I didn't know, I didn't see it at all. But all of us knows when the music's wrong. All of us have watched the American Idol episode where the kid was not on key. We all know what that looks like, right? We can all tell when someone in the band is playing off a different sheet of music, going at a different tempo, playing different notes, it doesn't work. You don't have to be a musician to know when music isn't music. And Paul says to these Philippians, he says to us, hey, churches everywhere for all time, harmony, one mind, one heart full of God's love for each other. But let that be the, the vessel that you give everything to each other with. But one sheet of music, one accord, as we seek to honor him with each other together. How does this harmony come about? It starts with this humility stuff that we were saying. It's so crucial to creating harmony. Uh, this next part, he, he, Paul talks about us keeping the we before the me. Everybody say that. We need to keep the we before the me, not the we like the Nintendo version, but the we like the us. We need to put others ahead of ourselves. Nothing disrupts harmony like the absence of humility. The verbs here in the, in the text go from the plural. 
They're not all y'all anymore, it's singular. And so here's what I need from you, personally, if you're gonna be a contributor to the Army of Harmony, if you're gonna be someone who is able to uh, top my joy off by giving uh, you know, this one-mindedness and this one love and this one accord, he says in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition. It's the Greek word uh, epitheon, and it, it basically is translated hostility in other parts of our Bible. It basically, do, do nothing out of selfish hostility. Have you been around someone who's been selfishly hostile towards you? Give me that. You ever, I, I remember my sisters and I, that was like a constant, that was like a daily thing in our, our house. Give me that, that's my Walkman. Ah, there you go, that's an old thing. Those are my leg warmers. Give me that. Yeah. This is what happens in the human condition. We get to be very much the give me that type people uh, that just ruin harmony all over the place. We elevate self over everybody else. We've adopted into the sin nature's version of priorities. Sin nature teaches us that it's me first, then maybe some we. And then if I ever bother with God, he's way down there, but it's, it's me, we, he. And me should be like really big. Like if it's a pie chart, it's 98% me, and then maybe 2% others, and then maybe I don't know what's left for God. It doesn't work out math-wise, but you're with me, right? And God says, no, no, no. That's never how this was meant to work. I'm first. It's all about him, our father. And then second, are those around us that he has given us to love and find harmony with. I find myself somewhere down the list. It's he and then we and then somewhere else. It's me. He says in verse four, look, each of you, or let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. He says it's not just about you, it's about the other people. Now, uh, I, I read this uh, commentator this week and, and it really brought to light some different ideas about this verse that I haven't thought of before. Uh, he's not saying that you completely deny yourself. In fact, the monks of the Middle Ages thought that that's what Jesus was teaching. Just complete self-denial. Get rid of everything. Live in complete austerity and poverty and, and just, you know, just deny self to the point that self ceases to exist. In about a chapter here, Paul's going to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's going to say, listen, Taylor, I want you to be the very best Christian that you can be. Sorry, bro. You're right there. I want you to be the very best Christian that you can be, and I don't want you to deny yourself. I want you to work on yourself. I want you to become the best version of you that you can become. Align yourself with Christ. But here's why I want you to do that. I don't want you to do that so you can just kind of you know, sit and look in the mirror and be like, you're awesome. You're amazing. Look at how spiritual you are. Look at all the ways that you've you know, brought good to the world. You're, you are an uber Christian. I'm not talking about the car service. I'm talking you are top notch when it comes to your Christianity. We're, our, our spiritual development is not for the man in the mirror. Our spiritual development is for the sake of those that God has given us life with to be in one mind with, to be, to be you know, expressors of his love to to, to, to be in one accord with. And so he says here, look, each of you, not to, only to your own interests. It's not just that you take care of yourself. You take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Okay, let's go to the plains. This is how we know this is true. 
when the, when the, when the planes uh, tell you before they take off, if there is a loss of cabin pressure, there will be these masks that fall down from the ceiling. Uh, what, what is a good uh, mother or father supposed to do when that happens? Okay, just quickly try to get every mask on their kids. I don't know what you said. It was probably funny. But pick their favorite kid and put it on the kid. Is that what you just did? Thanks for coming to church, bro. Good to have you. Okay, I'm with you, though. But that's not what they say. That's not what they say. What do they say? If the masks come down, what do you do first? You put on yours. You take care of yourself. Why? So that you can watch everybody else suffocate? No, so that if those around you need your help, you can provide it for them, having taken care of your own oxygen needs. Are you with me? This is the spiritual life, people. You take care of you, not for your benefit, not for your shine, but for God's sake so that he might use you in the lives of others. I was making cookies last night. I don't even know why I was doing this. Has anybody just been bored and found yourself making chocolate chip cookies? Happens to me more often than I'd like to admit. But I'm making these cookies and I'm about to preach this service and I'm like, I don't know what this is for. But then he makes it obvious to me. Mark, you have perfected the chocolate chip cookie. By the grace of God, right? You make really good chocolate chip cookies. And I know you enjoy the chocolate chip cookies you make, Mark, right? Rest assured, the first chocolate chip cookie of every chocolate chip cookie batch I have ever made has gone in here, all right? Got to test them. Got to make sure. I benefit from the cookies, but you know why you make the cookies? You know why there's more cookies than you should rightfully eat, Mark? It's because those cookies are to share. Those cookies are for others. Here you go, bro. That was funny. Nice hands. I'm going deep. Ready? Here we go, Bill. Oh, don't let fall. Oh, that is sacrilege, people. I'm going short. Here you go. TJ had surgery. Have a cookie. So many people came up to me after, that's all the cookies, everybody just settle down. So many people came up to me after last service, where's mine? I'm like, okay, yes, I make the cookies for you, the illustration still holds, I don't have any more. But here's my point. We live to grow in our relationship with Christ. Why? So that he gets the glory he deserves and so that those around us get what they need from us through him. Are you with me? All right. The last thing is a section of scripture that I could probably do five different sermons on. It is so fraught with meaning. Uh, If you've never read Philippians, uh, verses five through 11 are just chunky. Just really important verses in the understanding of who Christ is. He's our incarnation. If you wanna get uh, in a different way from a different angle, Christmas and its significance, you can read these verses. most scholars think that starting in verse 6, what we have here is, is an ancient hymn. Uh, the way the early church would uh, memorize its theology is they would put it to song and people would sing it back and forth. That's why it says in the scriptures that we'd speak to each other in, in uh, spiritual songs. It was a way for us to affirm our beliefs absent a, a book or some other means of understanding them. Are you with me? And so most scholars think what Paul is quoting here is a well-known hymn. It's a hymn that describes what he's imploring the Philippians uh, to have, this harmony that is rooted in humility. And our greatest example is Jesus himself. 
So the last thing I want to talk to you about as we finish up this morning is this, that if you're confused on the harmony thing and how to do it, if you're, if you're struggling with the humility thing and get in line, all of us do, then remember what Paul offers to the Philippians. He offers it to us. If you want to understand how this works, just look no further than Christ. Think like he thinks and act like he acts. It says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, later on in another letter that he writes uh, to the Romans, Paul's going to say, um, conform no longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like, it's like uh, well, we just, we just had it up here. We had a, a, a microphone that the battery died on. Uh, the microphone is going to be of no use except to hold some paper down in a windstorm uh, unless we put a new battery in it, right? There has to be something new uh, that makes that thing useful. And for us to be useful in the army of harmony, for us to be uh, victorious in, in setting self aside and choosing humility, there's going to have to be uh, a switch out, uh, a new mind that is ours in Christ, but it's something we have to choose. Ever looked at someone and said, what were you thinking? I mean, it's a, there it is right there. Uh, what, uh, what, what were you thinking is, is usually what follows a huge mistake in someone's life, right? You just watched, you know, this epic fail, and you, the, the only thing you could say to the person is, what, what were you doing just then? And what does the person usually say? Oh, I, I thought it was a good idea, you know, and, and, then, uh, and then realizes that it wasn't. There, there has to be a learning. There's just some things that are, and so listen, sin has made us all stupid. Can we just all agree with that? Sin and self makes us uh, ignorant and uh, uh, um, uh, obstinate, right? Uh, it, just, it just puts us in a bad posture. And it's only when we take what Christ gives, gives us in his, in his uh, life, his transforming presence, that we're able to do these things. Let your mind be that uh, which is Christ's. Have among yourselves this mind. And then it describes not just his mind and his thoughts or his attitude, but it describes his actions, which kind of wraps it all up for us and how we should uh, seek humility in bringing about harmony. Verse 6 says this, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This word grasped is so, mm, mm. it's the Greek word our pogmon, our pogmon, you don't care, you wouldn't know. Anyway, uh, uh, but it's a Greek word that basically means stolen. Like, like grabbing because it's mine. And most scholars think that Paul's uh, trying to make this correlation between the first Adam, Adam and Eve, and this second Adam, who is Jesus. The first Adam sought to uh, attain equality with God and, and God-like status by taking from him through the fruit that was on the tree, right? That's what the temptation was about. Hey, Eve, if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. And so the first Adam and his wife said, sign me up. And they took what was not theirs, what had been forbidden them. They took and ate of it in hopes of stealing equality with God. Jesus, who has eternally existed in co-equal uh, um, you know, harmony with God the Father, said, you know what, even though I am, <laughs> I am God and I am equal to you, I set that aside. Why? Because our nature is not like sin. Our nature puts 
others first and seeks obedience and submission and humility. And so, <laughs> though he was in the form of God, morphe, the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be stolen or grasped, but he emptied himself. It's the Greek word kenosis. It was his choice. Everybody see the verb tense there? Jesus chose to empty himself, to set himself aside as an example for us, as a provision for us. Does everybody get that if Jesus sits in heaven, which he would never do, and says, Father, I don't want to do this? None of us sit here. There's no sacrifice. There's no salvation. Everything hinges on the submission of our Savior Jesus Christ to the will of the Father a submission that brought him to earth and wrapped him in skin, a submission that took him all the way to the cross in death for us so that we might have life through him. He emptied himself, took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He goes on and talks about how he is exalted that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Because that's who he always was, absolutely. But Paul, in quoting this hymn, which it had been uh, passed down to churches here in the first century, says, guys, this is who we are. We are in Christ to act like Christ and have the attitude of Christ so that we can be in harmony and set aside self in humility so that we can make the statement and take the stand and withstand the struggle. Oh, Christ has given us himself to live this life with him and for him. The Christ life, one more time, runs on harmony. And harmony is built with humility. Take that to every relationship you have. When you think about your marriage, I have given my marriage to honor Christ in it by producing harmony. I do that, I produce harmony in my marriage by seeking to humble myself, putting God and my spouse first and honoring them in this covenant relationship. When I come to my church, I'm not here for my mandates, for my likes and dislikes, I can certainly express those things and we can talk about those things in ways that are loving and seek unity around that stuff, but I understand that I'm not here to receive, I'm here to give, to die as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus said, right? He told his disciples, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to die as a ransom for many. He's about to die. It's the night before he's crucified. All of his friends get to the Passover meal. There's nobody to wash the feet. And Jesus goes to the slaves' quarters, takes off his robe, puts on a towel, and walks out with a basin and says, fellas, I'll wash your feet. It's the last thing that he does, aside from praying in the garden. It's the last piece of ministry in the life of Christ. He doesn't feed 5,000, doesn't walk on water, he humbles himself and washes some dirty feet. I'm walking past my desk as uh, I'm getting ready to preach to you this morning. And on the desk is a, is a book from one of my friends, Beverly, uh, by an artist whose name I can only figure out is Jess. 
Uh, I can't recommend it. I trust it's a great book. I haven't read it yet. But I can tell you I love the first page. Can I tell you what's on the first page? It's a book called the Foot Washing Series. And on the first, first page it says it's not about who's on the seat. It's about who's washing the feet. And Jesus did what he did. Not so that the disciples could sit there and wonder, what am I supposed to learn sitting in this chair as he washes my feet? He didn't do it for that. He did it to show all of us who follow after him that this is the life he's called us to. A life of washing dirty feet, no matter who's got them. Seeking to honor those around us to the glory of God. Pursuing harmony and humility wherever possible so that God can give us his very best. Oh, that you'd have that in your marriage. Oh, that you'd have that in your home. Oh, that we'd have that in our church. And I think we do, not perfectly, but I'm grateful. Oh, that God would give us Christ's mind, Christ's actions. May those be ours. That was that we live this life for him. Some of you are sitting here and, and you're brand new to this story and you're like, wow, that was weird. Can I just give you one uh, last thing? If you're, if you're brand new to the story of Christ, what I'm talking about today, this whole harmony and humility stuff, it's what's required of anybody who would follow Jesus Christ. If you want to receive from God through Christ what only he can give, you have to humble yourself to the point where you understand, I can't do this on my own. I can't atone for my sins. I can't attain some level of perfection that would you know, make me righteous enough to be in life with God. That has to be something I humbly accept from the Savior who came for me. And if you've never done that today, if you want to experience harmony with God, it starts with you humbling yourself. And I'd ask you to come and talk to me about it. I would love to share with you how you can do that. For the rest of us who have experienced that, this is the life that we're called to. The Christ life certainly is about making a statement and taking a stand and, and persevering through the struggle. Embrace it, right? But that's only possible if we look to our left and to our right, to those that God has given us and seek to live in harmony with them in our homes and in our church by being humble in this life that he's given us. All right, that's what I think I was supposed to tell you this morning. Will you stand with me as we sing? It's all possible because of the faithfulness of our God. Amen? His faithfulness is enough. And let's sing about it.